Kia ora and welcome to the Wild and Eden podcast. Happy Easter! My name is Claire, I'm one of the producers of the podcast. And I'm Jamie McCauley. Welcome to this bonus edition of the podcast. In case you were just sort of hanging out for your next fix and couldn't possibly wait, here's a little bit of extra. So this extra audio is taken from an interview that I conducted with Martha Guerra. So I talked to Martha as part of our first episode for the Wild and Eden podcast, Welcome Home. And Martha's just so passionate about the sperm whales that she studies. There's just such awesome material in this interview that I just wanted to share it with you all. Hopefully this little extra tides you over until the next podcast's out soon. It's wild. Wild. It's really wild. 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 So wild. The Wild Dunedin Podcast. Now, as she explained in the first episode, Marta is originally from Spain, but has been living in Dunedin for quite a while now. She's currently doing her PhD on sperm whales in the Marine Mammal Department in the University of Otago. And actually, she told me her full title should be Sperm Whale Stalker and Sloughed Skin Collector. A bit more on that later. So I started by asking Marta just to expand a bit on her PhD area. What questions is she actually trying to answer about these sperm whales? So I'm most interested in understanding their relationship with their environment and other uh, other animals that live in uh, in their environment. Um, and the sperm whales I study um, are from the Kaikoura Canyon. Um, and what I'm studying is their their food web and uh, what makes good um, habitat for feeding. So what's important for the for the sperm whales that makes good uh, good areas for feeding. How did they get their name? So, <laughs> um, sperm whales have this uh, very waxy oil in their head. Uh, it's called the spermacidi oil, um, and they use it for echolocation. But early whalers thought that that's that that was sperm because uh, it does look like sperm, and um, and so, and they thought that sperm whales started in their head, which was quite unusual. Um, so, hence the name. Uh, but now it's yeah, well, it's been known for a very long time that that it's it's a type of oil that they use um, to echolocate. You mentioned echolocation. What do they eat? What are they echolocating? So sperm whales, unlike other large whales that are baleen whales, like humpbacks and right whales and stuff, sperm whales are predators and they have um, teeth, big teeth. They're toothed whales. And, um, and so they hunt. And their favorite food are squid and fish, deep water squid and fish. Um, and so at the depths where they find these prey, it's pitch black. Um, so they need another method to find to find what they eat, and um, like dolphins and bats as well, and uh, submarines, they use uh, this method, echolocation, which is basically producing these loud uh, click sounds that bounce off prey or walls of the canyon or, or whatever, and that produces an echo that they process, and they can basically recreate like a 3D image based on, on sound, and so they, they know where the, where the prey are. That's crazy. So they're <laughs> sending out these clicks are, do they send out clicks all the time or just when they're in hunting mode? Yeah, just when they're hunting. Um, well, actually, sperm whales also use these clicks to communicate. So kind of like Morse code, they produce these clicks in different sequences uh, called codas. 
uh, and they're used for communication with other members of their social groups. Um, but most of the time is for what they use them for. Their main purpose is yeah, ecolocation for hunting. And you said that they liked these deep areas. So they start clicking and then they also dive down deep to where the squid and these deep sea fish are. Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah, so they... Uh, when they dive, they take usually a few seconds to start um, clicking, maybe just until they get into the area where they know that they can start getting echoes from whatever it is that they're looking. Uh, so they usually take a few seconds, and then they just click, like, click, click, click. Uh, and then when they get to the depths where the prey are, so the, these um, squid or, or fish, um, then they, um, well, they keep looking, and they might change the, the like, how often they click. They might click faster or slower depending on how close or how far these prey are. Um, and it's really cool because you can hear this from the surface with a hydrophone. When they um, when they come across a prey, they'll make those clicks a lot faster to get as, as they get closer and closer to their prey. So those clicks eventually turn into uh, kind of like a buzz. They're so fast that you can't you can almost not tell them apart. Uh, and then they go quiet. So that's when we assume that they would have managed to catch their prey and uh, they're eating it up or whatever. Yeah, That's amazing. So <laughs> you're using a microphone and you're listening in on this hunting process. And yeah, you can tell cool. just by the... Yeah, kind of like that. Well, that I can't click fast enough. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you can, you can tell when they are attempting to, to get a prey. Yeah. And then silence. And then silence. Well, we don't time. know. They could, they could have failed and they're just... Oh, okay, well. <laughs> let's get ready to try again. But um, but yeah, basically a buzz of clicks means that they are attempting to catch a prey. That's what we... So how big do sperm whales get? Um, they get up to, well, there's records of pretty large males of up to 18, even 20 meters. Um, but the typical maximum size is around 16, 16 and a half meters in New Zealand. How much squid and deep sea fish does something that size need to eat? Um, about two tons a day has been estimated. So a lot of food. Yeah, they're, they're huge animals, um, and also uh, males especially need a lot of food because they're a lot larger than the females. Um, so size is very important for male-to-male competition uh, in, in breeding. Um, so so males have to even get more food to yeah, try to get as large as they can so that they're like, successful competitors to get the ladies, basically. So when they dive down, so they're diving down very deep mm. to find this squid. So how much squid are they getting per dive? Um, it varies a lot, um, depending on how much squid there is, or how much how accessible or how easy they are to catch. The different depending on the species. Um, but when we're listening with the hydrophone, we might hear a buzz, which indicates that they might be getting squid, anything from just a couple of times throughout a whole dive to um, I don't know what would be the maximum, but maybe twenty or thirty times or so. 
So you can probably tell by my voice, I was pretty amazed by all of these things that Marta was telling me about sperm whales. Yeah, I didn't even realise that some whales have teeth. I didn't realise that was a thing. Yeah, these are the largest predators. I mean, they're not the largest whales, but the other big whales just have baleen. They just kind of float around scooping out zooplankton. Whereas these guys are like probably hunting, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. But, and so that's how they are finding the prey, but how do they figure out what these whales are actually eating when they are eating? Well, remember I said Marta's full title was sperm whale stalker and sloughed skin collector. This links back to that title. So the title is how she finds, identifies the whales, and also how she figures out what they're eating. How do you identify individual sperm whales um through their tail so they have um a set of like nicks and notches along the trail of their tail of their flukes um and it's like a fingerprint for humans so each each individual has a unique uh, combination of nicks and notches between dives uh, they come up to the surface to um to get air and to rest and usually for about 10 minutes or so and then at the end of that resting period at the surface they uh, flick up their tail when they go down pretty much vertically and so the the tail lifts up um, so by taking a photo of the tail and then comparing it to other ones you can tell who it is if you've already seen them or or, or know if it's a different whale or not so they're like paparazzi yeah trying to <laughs> yeah. yeah there's the will stalker yeah and this is a very car- this is the kind of uh, picture that people probably would have seen is that f- tail yeah. flicking just before that the slow dive. motion like lift of the tail and then go vertical and then go down it's really beautiful <laughs> and that's the giveaway that they're doing a deep dive if they were just kind of swimming just under the surface they wouldn't lift their tail so when you go out on the surface to the Otago canyons mm-hmm. you're trying to take pictures of the whale's tail so you can identify individuals and you're also trying to listen Mm -hmm. so what does a day a typical survey day look like to you what does it involve for you so a typical survey day when we were looking for spermo specifically uh, we went out on the university boat the polaris 2 and went out to the area of the canyons where we thought that it was likely to find sperm whales and once we were there we launched a small boat uh, a zodiac uh, we went on the little boat with our directional hydrophone, which is our crucial tool to find the sperm whales. So um, this lets us listen for these clicks that the sperm whales produce when they're hunting. The hydrophone is it's custom made and it's built so that we can tell the direction of where these clicks are coming from and roughly the distance. Um, so we try to get closer and closer to these sperm whales while they're underwater foraging. And then at some point they stop clicking. Uh, and that means that they're probably coming up to the surface uh, to, to breathe again and to rest for, for a few minutes. So if we've done it right and if we've had enough time to track them, we'll be quite close to the sperm when it comes up to the surface. So we just wait uh, to like spot the first blow at the surface, which is really exciting, and then slowly um, approach the whale uh, to within 100 meters or so. And then position ourselves behind the whale and just follow it slowly as it swims along the surface. What we do um, while it's at the surface is uh, we record some of their behavior, so um, the total time that it spends at the surface and how often they breathe. And then we also look for sloughed skin, which they um, shed naturally as a mechanism to, basically as an antifouling mechanism to pre- prevent things from growing on their skin. So they're constantly shedding skin. Um, so we look for these little bits of grey skin that they might have shed uh, and we collect it. 
and then we wait for the whale to um, to be done at the surface uh, resting and lift its tail to to get its photo. Uh, so that's basically what we do until the weather uh, gets worse. And so we go from whale to whale trying to uh, track a different whale each time, um, which is not always possible. Sometimes we get the same whale again <laughs> just because they move around while they're underwater. Um, and then, yeah, when the weather gets bad, then we go back to the, to the mothership, <laughs> to the Polaris 2, and then come back home. You say you collect sloth skin. Mm. What do you do with the skin? We use it to um, study their diet and their food web. So you might be familiar with the phrase, you are what you eat. <laughs> There's an analysis called um, stable isotope analysis, which is basically the chemistry behind you are what you eat. So when a predator eats uh, prey, eventually whatever is the chemistry signature of that prey will end up in its tissue, so in its muscle, in its blood, in its um, skin, eventually. Um, so by comparing the chemistry of those skin samples to prey and even like the base of the food web, you can reconstruct the structure of food webs or figure out what are the most likely prey that they've been eating over time. Can I just go back to the hydrophone? So this is a, a microphone that you lower into the water. Yeah. So you're sitting in the boat listening to what's going on underneath the water. Mm-hmm. And then by the clicks, because you have this directionality on the microphone, you're kind of saying left a bit, right a bit. That's right. <laughs> so you're directing the boat to where you hear the whale is. Yeah. So um, it's it's a rough approximation. So we'll say, oh, we sh- maybe let's go a mile in that direction. And then you, you go a mile and you listen again. It's like, oh, maybe a couple of hundred meters, uh, a little bit more to the right until eventually you get closer and closer. And uh, this hydrophone is basically a stick <laughs> with a little microphone at the end built in a, a cone. Uh, and there's a sleeping mat surrounding the cone, which isolates the sound. And that's how we get the directionality. So if we point it in a certain direction, whatever's behind will be blocked off. And so we just move it around until the clicks are loudest and that's the direction of the of the sperma. And it's just one very exciting bit of, of this tracking business um, is that uh, you can tell the direction by the locating the loudest clicks. Uh, but as you get closer and closer, at one point, um, it becomes loud all around and you can't really tell a direction. And that basically means that you're on top of a sperm whale. It might be a thousand meters deep, but um, but you're very close in terms of being on top of it. So it's really cool. So there you have it. The complete work of a sperm whale stalker and sloughed skin collector. Yeah, and I can see why they're so stoked to have found those seven new whales in the Otago Canyons, as we clearly all heard in the first episode. It's really exciting to have a population of you know the largest top predator on earth <laughs> just at the doorstep of Dunedin. Sperm whales are, are really fascinating creatures and it's really exciting. They're the largest predator, they produce the loudest underwater natural sounds um, So and they're just really a cool species. So I hope that ties you over the holidays and whets your appetite for the next episode of the Wild Dunedin podcast. The Wild Dunedin podcast is supported by the Wild Dunedin Festival of Nature and the Otago Museum with help from ORFM Dunedin, Otago Access Radio. Big thanks to Marta Guerra, our special guest on this bonus episode, and thanks to Paul Corbett and Molly Devine for the intro and music from this episode. See you next time.